So uh, we want to continue today in our study in the book of Mark. But before we get there, I want to share something with you around the coronavirus. Uh, people ask me and say, are you going to start talking about this virus? Where does it fit into prophecy? And is there a message through this? And I want us to be very, very careful. I hear, I hear some people ascribing this to God and say God is punishing this sin on the world. He's punishing this. And uh, there's so many people who are so clever about these things right now when this is happening. I don't necessarily want to speak out on that. The Bible says that God's, God's wrath is already you know, poured out upon man. Now, let me also make a distinction. It's not the wrath of God which talks about revelation. Uh, if the coronavirus is this, is the wrath of God, then, then it's really shallow against the power of God. Now, that wrath of God which is going to come down on this earth is going to be much more worse. But it talks in Romans chapter 1, and I've heard so many people preach about this chapter about God who is um, leading people over to their own devices and he's and you know what that punishment is within the deeds that they do but I don't want to pick this now and say you know because this happened in the world God is reactional he's not a reactional God no no he knows everything that happens does he know what's going on absolutely he knows what's going on uh, remember this that the prince of the power of the air is 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 losing the world and he's got power and you know can he use this absolutely so i'm not necessarily going to preach a sermon and say you know this is the verses which shows us that god is now punishing people they are punished for sin already and there will be a punishment afterwards uh, so what about the the corona well it's really beautiful if, if you look in the bible in in the book of leviticus and it amazes me that governments put in a 14-day quarantine time. Some governments has gone beyond that. And they say maybe it will be a month, two months, we don't know. And it amazes me. It started off with 14 days to quarantine for 14 days. Where did this come from? Well, you can say it's the scientists who say this. And you know, if people quarantine for this time, the incubation period of the virus... But it's so beautiful when we can go back to Scripture and see that these things is already been put in place by God. You say what I mean. Take, for instance, Leviticus. When we talk about leprosy, which is a disease, and the, the leprosy, you know, it's the boils on the hands and, and the rottening of the flesh and so on. I want to go deep into that. But if you think about Leviticus chapter 13, it talks about how to deal with, with people with this in their bodies and the amazing thing is friend listen Leviticus 13 verse 21 talks about when somebody has got this disease he goes to the priest and the priest will examine him and then if the priest find that there is a disease within this body or it's the start of leprosy he then can send this man outside of the camp for seven days that's right seven days and then after seven days, the man comes back to the priest. The priest examines him again and can send him away for another seven days. How many is that now? 14 days. It amazes me. The world don't believe in Jesus. But yet, every single thing that God has put into place, man abides by. Whether they're atheist, agnostic, doesn't matter. It is so amazing. 
that we find this even in scripture it's happened there's nothing new under the sun um so the diseased person must go out out of the camp we are now confined to our homes we are isolated and if somebody do have the coronavirus they need to self-isolate for 14 days it's amazing then they can come out and be retested another fascinating part of that is um and look, I, I don't want to read any context into this. I, I just find this amazing. But another beautiful part of this is, is if you look at Leviticus 13 verse 45, he says that they need to walk around with thorn, torn clothes, torn clothes, not thorny clothes, torn clothes. Let their hair be unkept so that people can see. They can literally see these people do have leprosy. But the, the, the fascinating part of this is that they have to cover their face over their moustache, the Bible says, the King James, over their moustache. And we see so many people, in fact, the doctors and the scientists come out and they say, if you do have the virus, wear a mask. It's covering the bottom part of your face. So yes, the Bible talks about these things. It's just amazing for me how, how beautiful it is that man abides by the law. I mean... We all abide by the Ten Commandments. It doesn't matter which country it is. So uh, that's my little bit of coronavirus. And, and you know, you know, I'll, I'll, if the Lord lays a message on my heart to preach around these pestilences and pests and everything, I will do that. But for today, let's continue and go back to our study in the book of Mark. And I want to talk to you today about this line, these words here. Who will trust Jesus? It's a question. Who will trust him? My question to you is, do you trust him? And how far do you trust him? Do you, for instance, trust him with everything in your life? With everything in your life. Do you trust him with your life? Where is your trust today? And then, if he do come around... Will you accept him? In your circumstances, will you trust him? That's my question to you. And we find a passage in the Bible in your study as we just walk with Jesus through the book of Mark. And remember, let me remind you, we learn who Jesus is and why he came. And we see that he's got power over nature, over, over demons, over sickness and diseases. But now after all of that, we find him coming back to his hometown. And we're going to read for you from Mark chapter 6 and from verse 1. He says in Mark chapter 6 verse 1, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. He's coming back home. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished absolutely astonished in his hometown and his synagogue and they were saying where did this man get these things and what wisdom is this which is given to him where did this wisdom come from and what wisdom is this that's been given to him that such mighty works were performed by his hands is this not the carpenter is this not that carpenter boy the son of Mary and brothers of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. And are not these his sisters also with us? 
So that tells me that his family went with him to the synagogue. They were looking around and they say, that's his family. We know this man. But what astonished them was, where did he get this wisdom? Where did he get it? And also the authority with what he was talking. So they were offended at him. Now that is, that is really interesting to me. They were amazed, and look at the opposite now, but they were also offended. How do you get from amazement to offense? How do you get from looking at somebody and see the wisdom they've got? And you know, by the, the works, they say it right there, the mighty works they call it. Mark writes down mighty works. And then it's an offense. And we're going to explore that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray now, Lord, that you use me as a vessel to bring this message to my brothers and sisters and that you will talk with each heart today. Thank you, Lord, that your word does not go out and come back void. And I pray that it will accomplish everything it's purpose for. And please, Lord, discern our hearts today. Amen. So, these people were offended by him. The word that is used here for offend is the word skandalizo in Greek. Skandalizo. And that is where we find our word scandal from. Now we all know what a scandal is. The tabloids like to write about scandals. I don't have to explain to you that word. But I want to unpack it a little bit more. Because you see, a synonym for the word scandal is humiliation. So I'm you, you know, humiliated by an action of somebody else or a thing that humiliates me. It causes a scandal. That's the synonym for the word scandalizo. But to explain the word offense to you, it means to see in another, to see in another person what I disapprove of. So I see what they do, but I, I disapprove of what, what that, and that hinders me to acknowledge the authority. Apply that definition now to what happens here in the synagogue. The people saw in Jesus something that they disapprove of. They couldn't put the two things together. Carpenter boy, wisdom, knowledge, mighty works. So they saw that and they disapproved of that. And that is why they could not submit to his authority. And that's the same today. People see it. And, and look, this is application to all of that. An offense is when we disapprove of something in somebody else. And that's why we can't submit to anything they say. But you see, there's three general reasons why people arrive at this point and i want to discuss that with you because i i reckon it's going to really come close to to your hearts first of all we measure people against ourselves listen what i'm saying we measure other people against ourselves and they fall short and this is why we disapprove of them we put ourselves at a level, we see other people at a different level, 
and we now measure them at our level. And this is why we see they are beneath us. They do not come up to our level. Why? Because we are the measuring stick. This is not good, but it's true. And this is why we disapprove of them. It's like a man said, I'm looking for normal people. But I can't, uh, I'm looking for normal people like myself, but I couldn't find any. Think about that statement. It's measuring people against yourself. And this brings forth what, what I call spiritual, uh, spiritual elitism. So I'm the elite in a spiritual sense. And nobody is as elite as me. And this is what happened in this case. Look at this. He came to his own country in Nazareth. Now you say, what is applicable about that? You remember when Philip came to Nathaniel there in the book of John. And he said to him, come and see. We find Jesus out of Nazareth. And Philip himself uh, Nathaniel himself said, can anything good come from Nazareth? And I oh, bless Philip's heart. He said, come and see. So in their day, what were they doing? They were looking down at Nazareth and they were up here and they, they measured Nazareth against themselves. And Nazareth fell short. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. It fell short against themselves. And this is why they disapproved of anything that could come from Nazareth. But Philip had the right words. He says, come and see. We find Jesus in his own country and they disapproved of him. They disapproved of him because they knew him. So they measured and, and, you know, go back. Remember where Jesus is at this point in time. He's in the synagogue. And in the synagogue, there were Pharisees, there were Sadducees, there were scribes. And there were people who's going all the time. Every, every Sabbath, they find themselves in the, in, in the synagogue. And these men uh, themselves put themselves at this level and go, we're going to measure this carpenter boy against us. And then they were amazed. They go, where did he get this wisdom? You see, they're doing that. They measure or they measure Jesus against himself. And that's what we often do. Or sometimes I should say. We look at other people and we find them beneath ourselves. And this is why we would, we would reject them or disapprove them. Or why they would become a scandal to us or a humiliation to us. So that's the first thing that people arrive to this point. Now, Paul says that we shouldn't be like that. He says, no, no, listen to him in Romans chapter 12, as I read to you. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then he comes to this verse. Now remember what the first point is, why people disapprove or reject Jesus or reject even you or you reject other people is because we measure people against ourselves, how good we are and they not. 
But Paul says it right here in verse 3, Romans 12, 3. He says, For I say, through the grace given to me, he starts at a very humble point, to everyone who is amongst you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. The word therefore, not to, th or to think soberly, is to curb your passions. That's what it means, that phrase there. But he says not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And that's the problem of many. We think we are more cleverer than the person next to us or more, you know, more mightier or more stronger and all of these things. But he says, do not do that. Think more soberly, curb your passion when it comes to yourself. Look, when it comes to Jesus, let your passion go, but curb your passion and don't think of yourself more highly. So we see that people measure themselves or other people uh, with themselves. Secondly, we see that we measure ourselves against people and we fall short and that is why we are jealous. Let those words just sink in. So we measure against other people. We see people and we can't get up to their level. Maybe they have more wisdom than us. Maybe they do have more knowledge than us. Maybe they are more successful than us. Maybe they did say the right thing and we did not. So we measure every single time ourselves against them. And we fall short. Because we now see them at that point and we can't get there. And this, this is the breeding ground for jealousy. The breeding ground for that. I like what Benjamin Franklin said. And listen to how he puts this. He says, It is the eyes... Of other people that ruin us. The eyes of other people that ruin us. If all but myself were blind. If everybody was blind but not me. I should want neither a fine house nor fine furniture. I find some truth in that. But the problem is everybody's not blind. And I'm not blind. I can see others. And I want what they've got. And here we see these, uh, these Pharisees and scribes. They look at Jesus in the synagogue and he's got a lot of wisdom. And this is why they say, you know, where did he get this? And the mighty works that he's doing. I would also like to do that. I would also like to want to have that. And I can't have that. And this could be an offense. This could drive you to reject him. Because it's jealousy that fires it on, that sits behind the wave. I've read about these two eagles. One eagle could soar really high up into the sky. And the second eagle couldn't go as high. And he became jealous. You see, he measured himself against the other one. So one day as he was flying, he looked down and he saw there was an archer, a sportsman, an archer. And he, and he came down and he sat next to him and he said, would you like to do me a favor there? said, would you just take your arrow and shoot that eagle out of the sky? Well, the sportman looked at him and he said, yeah, I, I would be able to do that, but I need a feather to put on my arrow. 
So the eagle went down and he plucked one of his feathers out and he gave it to the sportman. And he shot, but he, 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 should, you know, he couldn't get him. And the eagle looked again and he plucked another feather out and gave it to the, to the archer. And he shot again and he couldn't get him. And he plucked another one. He kept on doing this until all his feathers were gone. And then he couldn't fly. And it was so easy for this man to catch the eagle and to put him in a cage. You see, friend, this is what jealousy do. The other person is not in the cage. He's soaring high. But it's you. You keep on plucking out the feathers to become better or to take him down. And in the end, you, you fall into the cage of bitterness and of envy and of strife and... And it's not a good place to be. So we see the second one is that we measure ourselves up against other people and we shouldn't do that. No, no. The Bible talks about the word is a mirror. This is a better way of going about and in the book of James. He says the word is like, the word is like a mirror and we look daily into the mirror. My reflection, if I look in a mirror, I see my own reflection. I see what I need to fix to make myself you know, you know, addressable to people. But when we look into the Word of God, we see the image, the image of Christ. And daily as we take from the image of Christ, we change into the image of His Son. If you want to measure yourself against anybody, measure it against the Word. And then apply it to change. So first of all, some people measure other people against themselves and they fall short and they can't submit and they reject him. Secondly, we measure other people against ourselves and they fall short and we fall short and that drives us to jealousy. And then thirdly, and I want you to listen to this one, is that we measure people against their history. Listen, we often try and like to do that. We we measure people against the history and they fall short. And that's why we don't believe them. And again, there's a classic example in our text. We look at people, we know them, we know where they came from. We know the sins they've done. We know how naughty they were. And this is what we do. We look at the history and we measure them against that history and you know what? That's why we can't believe them. Whatever they say. They said, look, this is the carpenter's son. This is a carpenter. His mother is Mary. There is his brothers. There is his sisters. They knew him as a young boy, as he grew up. They knew him. They grew up with him. Until the age of 32, when he, when he went, and then we know, we read, we pick Jesus' life up from when, when he came to John the Baptist and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. We saw him when he was 12 years old. Yes, he disappeared. He went into the synagogue. They were amazed with his knowledge. But then he, he resurfaced then again. And now we find fully blown life of Jesus. But he grew up with his brothers and sisters. And they knew that. This passage also tells us that Mary had other children. He had brothers and sisters. She had sons and daughters. Now, I want to ask you the question, have you ever wondered how it would have been to have Jesus Christ or just Jesus as a brother? Have you ever wondered about it? I know what some of you are going to say. You're going to say, wow, that would have been fantastic 
to walk around and say, Jesus is my brother. But I want you to rethink that thought. But yes, he, he had a multitude who followed him, but they were selfish. They were following him for what he could do for them. But that soon and quickly in their hearts turned into anger because he wasn't going to be that Jesus. And when he turned to anger, when one day he walked with them and he said, you will have no part in me if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. They go, what? That's crazy. And he lost a lot of disciples. One day he turned to them and says, you don't follow me because of me or, or the message I give. You follow me because your bellies are empty. You want food. And you see, quickly he turned into hardness and they turned against him. Now, if you are a brother or a sister of Jesus and they don't like my brother, later on they're going to shout, crucify him. Where was his brothers and sisters? I only read about Mary's mother at the cross. What is your brother doing? He's an offense to us. He's a scandal to us. Can you see? I don't think it was particularly nice to be Jesus' brothers and sisters at this point in his life. But you see, here lies the problem which lies with a lot of people. And it could be one of the big issues in churches. And that is that they were familiar with him, but they did not know him. Be careful my brother, my sister, not to be just familiar with Jesus, but that you know him. Familiar, familiarity breeds contempt. And this is what we see. We see contempt. And this, this comes with familiarity. Uh, Jesus don't want us to be familiar with him. He wants us to know him. And we find it in his own words. We find it in John chapter 17 verse 3 and I highly recommend if you haven't done it and if you've done it, do it over again. Read the whole prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. But in verse 3, and I, and I love this particular verse because some people ask, what is eternal life? And Jesus answered this. He says there in John 17, 3, he says, and this is eternal life. What? That they may know you the only true God. And now Jesus says eternal life is that they know, may know the Father. The only true God. Okay. And know whom else. The verse continues. He says that they may know you as, as the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We all love to read John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world. And we know that Jesus came and lived with us. But people become familiar with him. People go to churches by association. And through association, they become better. They become better. If you take somebody out of his environment, a bad environment, and you put him in a good environment... And the influence of the good environment on this person, he will become familiar with it and he will become better. And you see, this is where people make the error so many times. They look at people and say, oh, they are saved. My question is, is are they really saved or are they familiar with their environment? Similarly, if you take a good person out of a good environment and put him in a different environment, with bad influence, he will become familiar with the bad influence. And this is not what Jesus wants. He wants us to know him. He says, this is eternal life that we know God and we know him. 
John 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 3. In John chapter 10, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And I know my sheep. And I am known by my own. You know him. Don't be familiar with him. Everybody's familiar with him. I mean, people are swearing his name. This is how familiar they are with him. But do they know him? Uh, and Paul says the same thing to the church in Philippi. And I've got so many scriptures, but let me give you this one. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. He says that I may know him. I love that. Paul, out of all of the things he can write to them, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Do you know the power of his resurrection? Do you know him? Paul says, that is, look, this is my heart's desire to know him and the power of his resurrection. And, uh, and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Now, John, the apostle whom he loved, or the apostle of love, listen to him in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. He says, now by this we know that we know him. How do you know that you know him? If you keep his commandments. Now, he continues on to say, if you, if you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar and you don't know him. How do we know we know him? That we keep his commandments. You see, it's nothing about familiarity. It's about knowing him. And then in Peter, Peter writes the same thing. Uh, Peter, the one who denied him three times, he writes the same thing. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 2. He says, grace and peace be multiplied. What comes when you know him? Grace and peace. And they multiply. Be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You see this is the problem. People measure others against their history and they fall short against the history because of what we know about them in the past. And this is why we don't believe them. They didn't believe Jesus because he was the carpenter. He was the son of, of uh, uh, Mary. And this is why they didn't believe him. And this is an error. They should believe him. Now, they could not explain him. This is the problem that they had. And this is why they rejected him. And Jesus was to them a stumbling block. That's why they used that word scandalizo there. He was a stumbling block to them. Um, and it's because of their unbelief that he was a stumbling block. Not because of anything else. And we find a prophecy or a word in the prophets back in Isaiah about it. In Isaiah chapter 8 verse 14 says he will be a sanctuary. A sanctuary is a, is a place of, of, you know, of protection. He will be a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling block and a rock of offense to both the house of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of, Israel, of Jerusalem. So yes, he will be for some a sanctuary, but for others he will be a stumbling block. And here we see it in Mark. Mark explained it to us. He's in the synagogue. He speaks with wisdom. He did mighty works. They know all, of, all about this. He speaks with authority. It amazes them, but he turns to offense. A stumbling block. In Romans chapter 9, now if you think about Romans chapter 9, the whole 
summary of Romans chapter 9 is that God chooses to have mercy on, on whom he wants to have mercy and show compassion to, to those he wants to show compassion to. But, you know, some people will harden their hearts and he will harden to whom he hardens. That's a summary of, of Romans chapter 9. But we read in Romans chapter 9 verse 30, he says, What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness has attained the righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? It's questions he asks. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. They couldn't believe in him. Why? Because they knew his past and they measured himself against them. And others measured themselves against him and there was a problem there. It's an offense. They didn't seek it by faith, but it, as it were, by the works of law, for they stumble at that stumbling stone. They stumble at the stumbling stone. Now let's see what Jesus says, says about this. In Mark chapter uh, 6 verse 4, he says, But Jesus said to them, what did he say to them? He says, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, amongst his own relatives and in his own house. So yes, his own family were offended by him. His own house were offended by him. Everybody in his own town was offended by him. But he, he uses his sentence in a negative. He says, a prophet is not without honor. So a prophet has got honor. He's not without it, except in his own country. And amongst his own own relatives. And I find this so true in our day. Because if you think about it, brother and sister, if you uh, look through this passage here, you see that it is interesting, but it's yes so true, that we often think that someone who travels a huge distance knows more than us. I find it so amazing. I've seen it so many times. We hear somebody's coming from a from another country and we go, wow, we, we will drive, you know, miles and, you know, kilometers to go and see this person just because we think he knows more than we know. I've got nothing against travel preachers, nothing. I, I did it a few times myself. But it's it's not to say that that person knows more. But we think he does. Nowadays, you know, the world's only hours away. But back in the day, it was much longer, weeks away. It took you much longer to travel to other countries. And it's such a, you know, these people, they know more. It's not necessarily true. But it's also true that some ministers are more effective away from their own churches or their own countries. You find some in their own country, in their own church, they, they're just seen as a normal preacher, but once they cross over to another country, some people will hang on their lips. And, you know, that that is what Jesus says in this passage. He says, in your own environment, people will not accept you. They will listen to you, but they will always listen to this. They will measure either you with themselves and put themselves high or themselves with you and feel beneath. And that's why jealousy kicks in. Or other words, they will look at you and they will look at your past and they will they will measure you against your past. And that is why um, they would not believe you. But Jesus says, I get that. 
And this is why in his own country he won't be honored, but rather in another country. So let's finish this morning. In verse 5 he says, Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of the unbelief. Then he went about the villages in the circuit in teaching. The Bible says here that Jesus marveled. What could marvel Jesus? Their unbelief. Their unbelief. And not mighty works were done there. He laid his hands on a few people, they got, got healed. But not as, as it was before in other places. And that marveled Jesus. And now I like it that, you know, when Jesus, when this happened, he didn't pull back and go, oh, people don't like me and, you know, fall into a depression. No, no. What did he do? The verse says that then he went about the villages in a circuit and teaching. So this should encourage us. Let me bring it home. We need to measure ourselves against the word of God. Not against other people. This is one of the dangers so many people can fall into. And this morning, if it's the only thing that you take away from this word today, is to measure yourself against God's word. Not against other people. And if you do measure other people against you, dear friend, Fall on your knees and call about God for humility. Because everything you've got is given by grace and mercy from Him. doesn't matter who you are. You are not better than me and I'm not better than you. This is what Paul says. You, you, you should not think about yourself highly. And then, if you think about somebody in their past, pray for them. Pray for them. Don't measure people against their past. Praise the Lord. I pray and I trust that the Lord would have blessed you through this word and give you something to hold on for the rest of the week. Now, I will see you again on Wednesday as we continue in our study uh, through discipleship. I will come to lesson number two on Wednesday. But for now, may the Lord bless you and keep safe until we see each other again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And thank you, Lord, that we can learn so much about Jesus returning to his home country. And Father, thank you also that you give us within ourselves, Lord, the Holy Spirit, which will be our helper and your guide. And Father, help us, Lord, that if any one of these things we've learned today we, apply, we, we uh, operate in, that you, through the Holy Spirit, will correct us and help us to go stronger in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.